You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. So we're in the middle of a series called Jesus in the Old Testament. And so last week, we looked at Adam, and the week before that, we uh, were kind of laying a foundation that all of God's word is important. All of God's word it teaches and instructs and re- rebukes and corrects us uh, and leads us in righteousness. And so we are seeing how all of these stories teach us about Jesus. And so that's where we're, where we're at this morning. So in Genesis 6, we're going to be looking at the story of Noah. And I love how the storybook Bible says, Jesus' storybook Bible says this, every story whispers his name. And the name of Jesus echoes through all the pages of scripture from Genesis to Revelation. The father is revealing the son by the inspiration of the spirit. So then every story, we hear these echoes and these whispers. Hey, listen closely. It's about Jesus. Hey, does this sound familiar? It's about Jesus. All All of the Old Testament, all of the New Testament points to this pivotal moment when our savior came, when the word became flesh, dwelt among us. And so we're going to look at that this morning in the story of Noah. So the Noah narrative takes place from Genesis chapter 6 through chapter 9. So I hope you uh, brought a lunch. We're going to be here for a while. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. Well, we could spend weeks looking at this. It is one of the most fascinating stories in the Old Testament. It's no wonder that it's captured the imagination of little children all the way up to grown adults, where kids could take a little toy set like this and play and pretend that, you know, two by two, the giraffes go into the ark, and and that story just kind of captures and and sits with us. This is so unbelievable, yet we know if God is who he says he is, then this is true. And it's so uh, powerful and it's so captivating that even adults to this day, there are many documentaries of guys and explorers going all over trying to find the ark, and that if we can find the ark, then it's going to prove the Bible is true. Well, that may be the case, but that does not necessitate that the Bible is untrue if we can't find where the ark is. We know that it is true, and God is telling us that this happened, this story, this unbelievably, like, it just sounds unbelievable. It sounds like fiction. It sounds like someone made this up, but it is absolutely true. I remember as a boy playing with, with an ark similar like this, and just how I just would, how did this work? How did the animals actually all fit in the boat? My mind would just wonder uh, in that. And so we're going to continue to look at the story, the story of Noah, but we're not going to just cover everything. We want to fine-tune our focus this morning. We want to see how the Noah narrative foreshadows the Christ. So let's begin reading in uh, chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. And then we're going to jump to uh, chapter 7 and then chapter 9, if you kind of want to put your fingers in there, if you want to... uh, quickly term. So let's begin. Chapter 6, verse 5. And the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and the birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. 
Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy. Last week, we looked at the story of Adam and Eve. And what is clear that Adam, it's clear that Adam felled in the garden. And it was more than a series of unfortunate, uh, unfortunate events that followed. All of humanity fell under the curse of sin. And from the moment of the first sin, there would be no returning to innocence. There would be no going back to the garden. Because if you remember, God put a sword, a flaming sword there that says, you cannot return this way. All of history would march forward from that moment to the cross. There's no going back to innocence. There is no returning, turning back the clock once the things have been set in motion for sin. And we pick up in this story, and the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great uh, in all of the earth. I thought we, you know, we're progressive, right? We, we move forward in our understanding. We become better people. Is this not the case in the, how we tell ourselves in our self-help books that you can make yourself better, Right? No, this is absolutely contrary because of what sin is and what it does in the hearts of humanity is we progress further and further and further away from God. Because sin is this. It is anything that is done apart from faith, as Roman tells us. So sin is saying, God, I do not need you, and I'm going to operate in a manner and a mode that is completely contrary to who you are, and I don't want anything do with it. So there's not getting better in time, and history is not progressing further, but we are moving, moving further and further away from God. And the Lord saw the wickedness of man, and it was great on the earth. And not only did he just see that, oh, they're, they're kind of bad people, they're kind of you know, bad apples in the bunch. No, every intention of the thoughts and of his heart was evil continually. Another way to say it is always evil. There's not a well, I'm good, you know, sometimes we hear the story, uh, I love my children, they're great when they're sleeping. No, no, they are, they are, we are always evil. Mankind is always evil. Another way to look at that is in verse 5, every intention of the, every intention of the thought and of the heart, it's every plan is evil. Every plan, every thought that they try to put forward, well, what if I do this? What if I do that? Those are all rooted in evil thoughts and evil intentions. They're evil plans because of who we are, because of where we're from. We are sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. And we are wicked as the Lord looks down on the earth. He sees this. He sees it every thought and every plan. It's interesting that the Lord saw this, that we were evil, because if we remember correctly, just a few chapters before the Lord saw his creation. He said it is, what? It is good. But now he looks on his creation, the thing that he made, the thing that he loved, and especially mankind, that he got down in the dirt and he formed man with his hands and he breathed his life into him. He now looks down on that special creation and he regrets making He regrets making his prized creation, humanity, mankind, you and me. It's pretty strong language when you think about it. But when you also know the thing that you love the most, 
can sometimes hurt you the worst. And we see this in the story of Noah. This word grieved is this Hebrew word, nachem, and it means that he is just deeply sorrowful. He's deeply sorrowful for the creation that he made. He called it good once, but their actions now show their heart. There is nothing good in them. Sounds a lot like Paul in the book of Romans. There's no one that is good. No one seeks righteousness. And I want us to understand this morning, and while we're talking about the reality that is sin and, and where we are and how, our, how the world that Noah is in, how it got here, because we need to understand this, that sin always brings with it sorrow. Sin always affects others. Our downtown pastor, Eric, uh, he says this often, uh, that sin splatters. That every sin that has ever been done splatters onto those around us. It's almost like that Gallagher sketch, if you guys know what I'm talking about, the guy who would smash watermelons. Uh, younger people, you may not under have any concept with that, but the, some of the older folks are resonating with that. The old Gallagher sketch where you would smash the watermelon with a hammer and the front row always brought their little plastic things because they know that they were going to get covered in it. And the thing that sin does is it brings sorrow and grief with it. It moves throughout the course of history through humanity that this is where we're at. And God is absolutely grieved by the sin of man. And I think David uh, wrote in Psalm 51, I think he began to understand this, that the sin that splatters, not only does it affect those around him and relationships are broken because of sin, but ultimately our sin affects and is against God, the creator, God, our father. David said this in Psalm 51, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you and you only have I sinned against and done what is evil in your sight. Against you only, God, have I sinned. When we get down to the root of what sin is and we know it affects our relationships, but essentially sin is rebelling against the God who created us and the God who created humanity. But I love what happens in verse 8. We get this beautiful picture of grace. Look with me there in verse 8. And it begins with this, and it says, But Noah. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This word favor is the actual the first time in the Hebrew that we see this word. Uh, its root is the chin. I probably am mispronouncing it but it is chin, and it is the first time we see in the scriptures the word for grace. The word for grace. Now, we saw it in the garden. We saw God show his grace that he didn't just wipe away man, that when sin entered the world, the Bible didn't stop there, did it? It had been a kind of a short story. Man sinned, it's all over. Done, right? We get to uh, Genesis 6 here, and we get Genesis 6-8. It could have been the generations were so wicked, done, period, on the end of that sentence. But no, we get but God. We've seen pictures of grace throughout the Bible so far where God covered Adam and Eve, and he, he made clothes for them. They tried to hide their wickedness and, and their nakedness, but God put clothes on them and said, hey, take this, you have to leave, and I'm still showing you grace. I'm giving you a covering. And we get here, generations were so wicked, they were so evil. All of their plans, all of their intentions were set apart and against God, the creator. But we get verse 8, 
the very first mention of the word grace, favor. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Did Noah do anything so far in this story to find favor with the Lord? Did he uh, act in a certain manner? Did he uh, show up wearing the right clothes? Did he attend uh, you know, all the right religious things at that time? We don't see that yet. Just verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Aren't you thankful that this is how the Lord works in our lives? That he doesn't say, okay, now you. Okay, now that you've done these things, let me show you favor. No, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. The Lord who looked once over his creation and saw that it is good, and now he sees the evilness. God still shows his grace that he would find one that he would love that he would pursue, that he would seek, and that he would show his grace, his favor to. And I love what Noah's name means. It is uh, this Hebrew word, and it means comfort or rest. It means comfort or rest. And earlier in chapter 5, Lamech, who is Noah's father, realized the struggle that is life. He, they realized that from the curse that there would be hard work and toiling in the sand, if you remember uh, the punishment and the curse that would follow sin, that it would be hard work. And Lamech names Noah comfort and rest, that maybe the son would be the one who would bring comfort and rest from all of our toil and striving and pain. I love that. I love that we begin to see these little glimpses of God's grace, that there is comfort and there is rest. Does it sound a little familiar? It's beginning to sound familiar. You should be hearing hints of who Jesus is in these moments, that Noah is comfort and rest. His name means that, and he will bring that to and through his people. Let's continue to look at this text as we see that these are the generations of Noah in verse 9. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, and Noah walked with God. Now, what, what happens here is we can read that real quickly, and can we think, okay, well, maybe Noah was perfect. Maybe Noah actually was truly blameless. What this means is that he was, another translation says he is righteous, but this righteousness is not of his own. It is not anything that he conjured up, because if Noah is, if we know anything about family trees, it starts somewhere, right? Noah is from the line of Adam and Eve, and he has his lineage in and through that. But it is God showing his favor and his grace, and that Noah is found righteous in that, and that he pursues God, and he thinks about God. Where everyone else's thoughts and intentions of the heart are opposite of that, Noah's thoughts and heart is to think of what the Lord, Yahweh, would want for him. And we see that happens, that Noah walked with God. I love that, that we think about that old hymn, uh, I can't remember exactly, uh, early in the morning, I would walk with him in the garden, and then the hymn has just left me. Uh, We would walk with him in the garden, and then we see generations walking away from him. But what did Noah do? Noah walked with God. He walked in a relationship. He, He spent time with his creator and thinking and being with him, where all the generations before They didn't care about God. They didn't seek after him. They did not walk with him, but they walked further and further away. But we see here Noah walking with God. And I love that it's in between these two parts. 
we get this declaration in verses 5 through 7. And this is, this is how our culture is. It, it is broken. It is wicked. It is evil. We get this little vignette in verses 8 and 9 of who Noah is. And then we look down a little bit further in verses 11 through 15. And now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, and make rooms on the ark, and cover it inside and out with pitch. And so we see here kind of this conjecture where it is, this is where we are at. There is hope. There is one that is comfort and rest, and that is this man Noah who walked with God. And then again, we're reminded, I mean, we're still in the middle of this situation where there is violence. There is nothing but violence that these men seek in and around the earth. Now, what happens is because of sin, God has to move into action. If God was not a God of action against violence and sin, then we would have some serious theological issues to have to deal with to say, oh God, why aren't you dealing with this injustice? God, why are you not addressing the, this, the rebellion that is against you and your creation? But we have a God who is loving and shows grace, yet he is strong and mighty and full of justice. So something has to happen. And so the plan begins that, no, that God is going to redeem mankind through Noah, but he has to do something. He has to act against the sin and the injustice that is in, in the world. And that means he's going to begin to let it rain. and He's going to let the floodwaters rise. So if you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter 7. We're just going to look at two verses in chapter 7, verse 17 and 18. So Noah begins to build the ark. He begins uh, to build this monster, <laughs> monstrous ship to hold all the living creatures and his family. And the flood continued in verse 17. Forty days on the earth, and the waters increased and bore up the ark. And it rose high above the earth, and the waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth. And the ark floated on the face of the waters. So we pick up these, this story a few verses later. Noah has built the ark, and by some miracle, the animals get on the ark. I remember helping my dad one time herd cattle. Uh, it was the only time I've ever herded cattle, and probably the last time I ever rode a horse that I can remember. Uh, me and wildlife just don't get along that well, uh, but that's okay. Uh, but I remember helping my dad herd cattle one time, which means I just followed him around. Uh, but that was a pretty difficult job because uh, the cows were just going to go wherever they wanted. If you weren't, didn't have someone in the right place, they start to move wherever they want. And this just is so amazing to me, the miracle that is God, that he is going to work in and through his creation, that he would bring all of the living creatures uh, according to their kind, and they would begin to march right into the ark. Is that, is that just not crazy for a minute? Can we just look at, just think about God's word for a minute and think, wow, God, you're pretty awesome. Uh, that's just a total sidebar, but I just am baffled by that. Um, so now let's continue. The flood rose for 40 days, and the waters increased, and it bore up the ark. Now, I want you, what I want you to see in this is that the flood is salvation through judgment. Now, what I mean by that is, think about this for a few minutes, and actually the writer of uh, this tale, who is Moses, does a really incredible job where we are talking about the world and their wickedness, 
And what's going to happen is we're going to begin to move away from that, and we're going to look inside the ark at the story of Noah. But what's happening, if we remember correctly, the rain is falling and falling and falling. And what does that mean? It means that humanity is passing away. And that what the Lord said, that I would blot out mankind, he is doing that very thing. We shouldn't look over this tell and just kind of pass by that for a minute. That God utterly destroyed humanity. Now we tell this tell, this story in our VBSs and our kids' stories, and we kind of gloss over the fact, but we need to understand the gravity that is God's judgment on humanity. Because of how holy he is and because he is alone is righteous, he cannot have this sin in his creation. God is always about redeeming and recreating that which he loves. And he's doing that here in the story of Noah. He's bringing salvation, but it comes through judgment. That's a pretty heavy thing to think about, that all of humanity was wiped away. But, Noah walked with God. And God has provided a way for salvation, and it is the ark. So the very same thing that drowns all of humanity and all of earth and creation is the very thing that lifts Noah and his family above the trial and the tribulation. Because what happens is the very instrument of destruction becomes the very instrument of deliverance. Does this sound familiar? That which man intended for evil, God uses for good and for his purposes. We see the instrument of the flood, the destruction, the judgment of God comes and brings salvation for Noah and his family. And what does that mean for us? You and I are here today to meet and to worship a holy God Because God didn't put a period at the end of the sentence in Genesis chapter 6, but he provided a way of salvation through Noah that there would be an ark built that would carry all the animals and his family. And the instrument that brought destruction becomes the instrument that brings deliverance. And so what happens next? We're going to fast forward a little bit because they, if you remember the story correctly, that's a lot of water. And it takes a lot of time for a lot of water to dry up. I believe it was 150 days of like the water set, if I remember uh, doing all the math correctly. Uh, it takes a long time for all of that water to dissipate. And so there's the story of Noah letting the bird go and trying to find dry land. And eventually the dove flies and uh, doesn't come back. So it gives Noah a sign. We're almost there. That thing that brought destruction brought salvation. It brought deliverance for Noah and his family. So let's look at Genesis chapter 9. Verses 12 through 15. And God's word says this. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. For all future generations, I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And when I bring the clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood, destroy all flesh. So we hear from God. We hear about his covenant that he 
wrought destruction, yet he brings salvation through the flood. And he goes on to make a promise to Noah, a covenant between God and man, that I will place my bow in the sky. I will place the rainbow that is beautiful. And I love, uh, recently I was talking with my little girl about it. All right, Daddy, what are the colors in the rainbow? And everyone knows it's Roy G. Biv, right? Red, orange, blue, green, indigo, violet, something like that. Uh, we, we all know uh, just the beauty and the awe that is a rainbow that is kind of mysterious. And, and no matter how close you seem to one, it always seems further away. But it is this reminder of what God did thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, that God saw the wickedness of man, yet he brought salvation through his people that he showed grace to, that he found favor and showed favor to. And he made a promise that I will never do this again. Never will I blot out the earth and humanity in this way, that when I see this, it will be a reminder to me of my promise, of my covenant, to you, every living creature that is of the flesh. And I love this about our God, that he is a promise-keeping God, that he had to act, yet he always shows grace, and he makes a promise to us. He makes a promise to us. So how does all of this tie in to Jesus. Where do we see Jesus in this? I want you to see that we saw in Genesis chapter 6 that Noah found favor with God. And what I want you to see is that Noah, as we keep reading the story, he is not perfect because he became drunk as soon as he got off the boat. And like, that didn't last long because what happened? He is still from Adam and Eve, and he still has that seed woven through him that he is broken and not completely whole. He still has that brokenness in him. But yet he found grace and favor with God, and I am thankful for that because that's my story. That, that yes, God, you may have brought me through these situations, but it doesn't take me long to forget who you are. But I want you to hear this today, that Jesus is the one who found favor with God and is the favor of God. Because there, when he was baptized, Jesus was baptized, if you remember this story by John, that God the Father and the Holy Spirit were there, and he opened up the heavens and said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And they see the dove descending on Jesus. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus is the one who, found favor, who has favor with God, but he is also the favor of God for you and for me. He is the one that shows us and displays for us the great grace that is from God. And I love that people often uh, talk about miracles and signs and wonders and things of that nature. But the greatest sign and the greatest miracle that has ever been done is that Jesus came to earth and he died on a cross so that people like you and me and like Noah could know who God is. That we could walk in a perfect relationship where the world before had never walked with God. You and I can walk with God because of Jesus. Because he has favor with the Father. He is the beloved Son, the only begotten, that whosoever would believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him will not come under the condemnation and the judgment of God again, as the people in the flood did. But those who believe and put their trust in him have found their way into the ark 
the door has been closed and we are in Christ when we believe. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That the ark is not a boat, but it is a story of the gospel. That when you enter into relationship with who Jesus is and enter into relationship uh, through Christ with God the Father, you are protected from the storms because Jesus was and is the favor of God. He is the grace of God. I want you to see this, that Jesus was crushed under the flood of sin so that you and I could rise. Jesus is the one who took upon himself on the cross the crushing weight of every sin from the beginning of time until the end of time. God bore that on himself through his son Jesus, carrying away our sins so that we could rise to life. That is why it is so beautiful, the picture that is baptism, that you are buried with Christ. You are raised to walk in the newness of life. Because under the water, judgment passes and is there. But Jesus carried that. So when you come out of the water, it is his life that you are walking in. It's through belief and through trusting in Jesus. And just think about that for a minute. If you've ever uh, just seen anything in documentaries or anything like that, about how the further deep you go into water, the stronger the pressure is. And it is crushing. And it is weighty. And it is Heavy, And this is the reason that Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane says, Father, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. Because Jesus understood the weight and the pressure and the toll it would take. It would kill Jesus. Yet that death, burial, and resurrection is the reason that you and I have life. And life everlasting in this, my friends, is what we rejoice in. This is what we sing about. And this is why we gather together as God's people and gather around his words, is to remember that we once were lost and we once were as wicked as the people that we read about in Genesis chapter 6. But Jesus walked with God. And because he walked with God, and died the death that we deserve. He gave us the life we could never earn. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That when we look at the story of Noah, we're not seeing this miraculous tell that captures our imagination, which it does and it should, but we are hearing the whispers, that will be my son. And he, by his love and his grace and his death and his burial and his resurrection, will cause you to rise to new life. He will cause you to rise to new life because of who he is, that he loves me, the Father, and he walks with me, the Creator, and he's going to do a work in you where he's going to make you new. This is good news. I want us to see this too, that in Genesis chapter 9, Jesus stands as the ultimate promise of God. The rainbow was hung in the sky, beautiful. You can almost get lost in it, but it is this reminder of something so heavy that there was this flood that destroyed all of life. Yet the sun shines over the clouds, over the storm, and causes the rainbow to grow to where the light 
pierces through the darkness of the clouds and of the storm, we get the beauty of the rainbow. Is this not the gospel? Is this not who Jesus is? That he is the light and the light of man, as John 1 tells us, that he has stepped into darkness and and where our darkness and his light meet, there is this beautiful thing and it is called grace. That it is through judgment, salvation comes, the judgment of sin on Jesus Christ so that we can be saved and redeemed. And Jesus stands as the ultimate fulfillment of the promise of God. The ultimate promise of God. And I love how the Jesus storybook says this. And and if you'll forgive me, it is not the word of God, but it is uh, beautifully puts it into uh, this form. And if you don't have a Jesus storybook Bible at your home, it doesn't matter how old you are, I highly recommend this book to you because it is beautiful. And as I said at the very beginning, it whispers his name all the way through it and helps us see this. Let me read this with to you. At last, the boat landed quite suddenly on top of a great mountain. As soon as it, as soon as it was safe, God said, out you come. And so they did. Everyone skipping and dancing onto the dry land. The first thing Noah did was to thank God for rescuing them, just as he had promised. And the first thing God did was make another promise. I won't ever destroy the world again. And like a warrior who puts away his bow and arrow, at the end of a great battle, God said, see, I've hung up my bow in the clouds. And there in the clouds, just where the storm meets the sun, was a beautiful bow made of light. It was a new beginning in God's world. It wasn't long before everything went wrong again. But God wasn't surprised. He knew this would happen. And that's why before the beginning of time, he had another plan, a better plan. A plan not to destroy the world, but to rescue it. A plan to one day send his own son, the rescuer. God's strong anger against hate and sadness and death will come down once more, but not on his people or his world. No, God's warbow was not pointing down at his people. It was pointing up into the heart of heaven. My friends, this morning, I hope you hear the whispers of Jesus in this Old Testament story of Noah, this one that our children have learned and, and, and celebrate and we study and we have uh, this remembrance of all these animals and these miracles that happened through this. But we also have to remember how horrific this story is because of the wickedness of man. But it doesn't end there. And if you come this morning and you hear, man, uh, we talked a lot about how bad everybody was. It's true. It's true. And I'm sorry if that offends you to a degree, but I'm not sorry to the point where you feel convicted about that. Because here's what I hope this morning, that more than anything that you hear, you hear that there is grace in who Jesus is. That just as Noah brought salvation and, and the ark brought his people through and, and it rose through the tough times, I hope this morning that you hear what Jesus did for you. That Jesus took upon himself your sins He died your death, and he gave you his life, and this is eternal. This is forever. That God would point his arrow no longer from the bow at mankind and say, you wicked people, but he would take upon himself the suffering. And that is why Jesus is known as the suffering servant. Not that he came to serve the world, but that he would suffer to serve his people. My friends, when you believe this, when you trust this, 
good news, you are no longer under judgment. You are free from guilt and condemnation in Christ Jesus, in the ark of who he is. You are safe from harm. You are safe from harm, and he leads you and guides you in your home. And no matter what storms and what situations arise in your family, in your marriage, in your job, you are safe in him. No matter what comes at you, whether it be by surprise or by your own doing, you're safe from harm. No matter what, you have a God who has demonstrated his love for you that instead of passing the judgment on to you, he would take judgment on himself and suffer and provide a way for salvation for you and for all those who would believe. This, my friends, is the good news this morning that I hope you hear there is life everlasting in Jesus Christ no matter what. When we believe and we trust in him, this is the good news that Jesus is seen in Noah. That he walked with God. He was obedient to God, even to the point of death, so that you and I may have life. Let me pray for you. Father, we come this morning to say thank you for who you are. Um, and God, I just pray that you, that you would speak to us this morning. God, that by your grace and by your power, that we would hear this news that in the story of Noah, in this narrative, this tell we tell our children that you are present and have been active from the beginning of time putting all these things into motion to redeem mankind to yourself. And that this is the good news. This is the gospel, that your son would redeem us to one another and to you for your glory and for your renown. And so God, I just pray for this church family that is here, God, that they would see and recognize that every bit of your scripture points to this momentous occasion that at the perfect time, your son would live he would carry our sins away, die, be buried, but most importantly, he would rise again. And this rising again is our hope and our security. And when we trust in you and when we trust in him, that we have life eternal. God, we love you. God, we thank you. God, we come and say there is no other name that to be praised but you because of who you are and what you've done to redeem people who would willingly forget you and walk away from you. God, we thank you for Jesus, our ark, our hope, and our redeemer. In his name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.